How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? What's the real truth about Citizen Kane? It'll probably turn out to be a very simple thing. Merry Christmas, everybody. We hope you're doing well. I'm Parker. And I'm Max. And welcome back to Better Than Citizen Kane, the highly subjective show where we look at a movie and ask the question, is it better than Citizen Kane? If you like Citizen Kane, that's fine, because we're not here to hate on it. After all, there is a reason it has earned its reputation. But when every movie ever made is a reasonable contender for the title of greatest film of all time, you have to wonder, better than Citizen Kane? So, Parker, we actually have a problem. Mm. And I, was, I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it up. Mm -hmm. But as you know, I don't know if the audience knows this, but as you know, per our ghostly benefactor's rules, we were supposed to do 6,000 episodes this year. Oh. We did 24, because mm -hmm. we missed one mm. of the 25 that we planned. I don't know why we planned for 25, when we knew we had to do 6,000. Yeah. But I bring it up only because this morning I was thinking about it, and I came up with a solution, Okay. which is I think it'll all work out, because it is Christmas Day, mm. if we talk about a movie that embodies the magic of Christmas. And that'll make up the difference of the other... 5,976? Yeah. Okay. Christmas magic has very few rules, Parker. Sure, I can see that. Which is interesting yeah. because the movie today that we are talking about, Klaus 2019, mm -hmm. uh, doesn't actually have a lot of Christmas magic in it. No, it's not little, well. But it's... Literal. Literal. Yeah. But it is very much trying to kind of distance itself from a magical origin for... It's Klaus. Sure. Uh, we're talking about Klaus. Yeah. 6,000 episodes, we missed, as Parker said, like over 5,000. Yeah. Um, really dropped the ball. So I just think if we talk about this movie, which coincidentally, he has to send 6,000 letters, mm. I think this might do the trick. So let's give it a go. Why not? And if we don't, then next year, you'll have to see what happens. Yes. Parker, what's your history with Klaus? Um, I discovered Klaus the year after it had come out. I didn't catch it in the 2019 season, I don't believe. Mm. Um, but I did catch it the year after. Um, was just looking for holiday movies to watch. Had seen people kind of talking about it, um, especially from like an animation standpoint, um, mm. which is kind of a sphere that I find myself in often. Right. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't get to it the year that it came out. I think it just you know. It was a busy year, 2019. There was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and so I just didn't quite get to it. But 2020 um, was just looking for good holiday movies to check out um, in the season. And uh, my partner at the time and I watched it and we we're like, oh, hey, this is really lovely. And it was really funny because we were watching it and the uh, fire alarm went off at my apartment halfway through. <laughs> so everybody evacuated the building and I took Toby out and we're like, well, I don't know when we're letting getting let back in, but the movie's really good. And so we just pulled up the movie on my phone and like huddled in the car and watched like 20 minutes of the movie until we got let back in. So that was my first experience with Klaus. And it has become absolutely a part of my Christmas canon every single year. It's nice. like this Muppet Christmas Carol mm -hmm. and um, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown or Charlie Brown Christmas are nice. like the must watches of the season for yeah. me now. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's really, really lovely. What about you? What is your experience with this film? Similarly, I didn't get to this until a year later after it had come out. I don't, I remember vaguely it being at the Oscars because mm -hmm. it was nominated for Best Animated Feature, but I didn't see it until the next Christmas when um, my mom and I, I was at my parents' house and my mom and I were sitting there and we were trying to find something to watch. And I found Klaus and I'd heard about it and I was like, let's just watch this. 
And so we watched Klaus and we both really liked it. Um, and then I watched it again the next year, I believe at your house. Mm -hmm. And then I think the year after that, I watched it again at your, no, actually, I don't think I was there last year. And then I watched it this Mm. morning. (laughs) So I've only seen it the three times. I missed it last year. Um, but I do agree. I do think it is worthy of being in the Christmas canon for Mm -hmm. people. Um, it's just, I don't know if it necessarily has reached that status. Yeah. It, I don't know. Well, actually, I do. I have lots of theories why, um, which we'll get into. But uh, um, this is also our first Christmas movie. Yes. Um, this episode is going out on Christmas Day. Um, also, if you don't celebrate Christmas, that's fine because we're not here to celebrate it. <laughs> uh, I should have thought of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is an interesting question of Christmas movies. Yeah. Um, and what are they trying to do? Right. I mean, I, no, this isn't our first Christmas. We literally talked about Love Actually I was, last I wasn't going to interject on you, but yeah, we, we did. literally just, talked yeah. about Love Actually. I thought but, you meant like this was coming I, out on Christmas. Like if right. you're listening to it, 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 if you're listening to this as it comes out, it is Christmas Day. That is true. Um, but I will say, I forgot about Love Actually being a Christmas movie, which is wild. Um, <laughs> but I think we were so caught up in discussing that movie and what it was trying to do. Sure. As far as like love. Mm-hmm that we didn't really talk about the merits of what it takes to be a good Christmas movie. Sure. What do you think a Christmas, a good Christmas movie should look like? And then we can get into Klaus and how you feel that it matches up with that. I think it's kind of a different criteria. Yeah. It's the exciting. qualities of a good Christmas movie. And it's so funny because, you know, it's, it's the meme at this point, but it's still accurate of like, we live in a society. You have to exist within the society. Get over it. In the sense that all of these films are to one extent or another a product of like a capitalist system Mm -hmm. but something integral to me about like christmas movies is like a very anti-consumer anti-capitalist message Mm. it's very much like ingrained in there um and so that's a big part of it for me is like you know you can find like the joys of gift giving can be a focus but it's not about the gifts it's about you know finding something thoughtful for somebody right like showing up in that way that's a big part of like a good christmas movie yeah. for me or just like the meaning of receiving a gift totally generally it's not like about how much mu- like there's a right. lot of christmas stories that are just like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how much you spend yeah what matters is how much you care and i think that's important i think that's an important piece of it yeah. um i think engaging with either childlike wonder or childlike innocence is important. It doesn't Mm. have to be focused entirely around like these children believe in Santa Claus. It just has to have kind of a, a purity to it, I suppose. Okay. A kind of a feeling of, Hey, we're going to put aside adult cynicism in favor of wouldn't it be better if we all cared a little bit more and if we all, approached each other the way children approach each other and try to just be as fully integrated as possible, which I think Klaus does a great job of. Yeah. Um, so that's another big piece for me. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of like it, 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 it usually a juxtaposition. This is going to sound so strange because Christmas is so as, as a idea, as an icon, as a holiday, it's so much about like, spreading joy and cheer and happiness but christmas is you know usually it's within a week or less of like you know the winter solstice it is the longest darkest day of the year and i think that's an important underbelly for me with like christmas movies that i love 
is that it grapples with kind of the depression and dourness of the season that can exist in the dead of winter where it's just like, man, I haven't seen the sun in so long. Right. And everything is cold and dark and it can be a lot. And yeah. like that's, you know, it's what I love about the pairing of taking Charlie Brown and the Peanuts gang and, you know, marrying them to Christmas is that Charlie Brown as a character is just walking embodiment of depression. <laughs> and it's like, okay, how does this character <laughs> deal with the idea of Christmas? And he's constantly trying to find the meaning of it because he doesn't like the commercialism. He doesn't like the flashiness. He doesn't, he can't find the same meaning that everybody else can in it and has to find his own kind of meaning, which right. is really lovely. Same thing with It's a Wonderful Life, like surprisingly a very dark and depressing movie yeah. with a very hopeful underbelly. Right. Well, and I mean, that's, I mean, A Christmas Carol kind of invented the Christmas, totally. the modern Christmas story mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Primarily, I think it just donated a lot of like, Christmas is fundamentally the worst time of the year. Like it yeah. is cold and dark and sad mm -hmm. and it's awful. And but also a huge part of why I think the holidays are important generally, not just Christmas, but like sure. all like there's a bunch of holidays, obviously like Hanukkah and New Year's and, you know, Kwanzaa as well. Like they're all kind of based around getting together with people and bracing, like bracing yeah. together, embracing each other at the worst time of the year. And we made a little short film that's kind of about that once upon a time. Um, but I think, yeah, that's totally correct is like if you... Like it's a miserable time and it's really sad. And I think a good Christmas story grapples with how awful it can be. Mm -hmm. But then it's also like, okay, but the point of the holiday season is that you're inside and it's warm and you have people. Yeah. And I think it's fundamentally about people and love. I agree. And, and warmth. Mm -hmm. Great. Any other aspects that make a good Christmas story? No, I think you got it. <laughs> All right. I love a good, I also love a good ghost at Christmas time, yeah. which we don't get enough of. We'll, and yet, we'll, Klaus. We'll, we'll, we'll talk off mic because I've got I've got some thoughts uh, oh. about that. Oh, yeah, very some, exciting! Some, some new things have come up Ooh. for me that I've been thinking about. Anyway. I should just do. Yeah, so Klaus. Klaus. Um, um, quick summary, really quick. Mm -hmm. If you see, if you've seen an uh, Emperor's New Groove, it's basically that. Pretty much. But I don't want to fault this movie for. I'm not trying to like cheapen it. No, I'm no, just but just like, that, like as as a a touch point for as people. a touch point for people, it is basically that there is a really snobby, stuck up little guy played by Jason Schwartzman named Jesper. Um, named Jesper, who is the son of the like postmaster, postmaster general, general in like the 17th century kind of, mm -hmm. um, and he's terrible. He doesn't, he hasn't been doing any of the training that his father has demanded he do. He's trying to flunk out. He's trying to flunk out because he doesn't want to do this. He wants to just go back to his cushy lifestyle. Um, and his father's basically like, no, I'm going to punish you. You're going to learn to work. I'm sending you to, um, Smirinsburg. Smirinsburg. Which apparently was a real town that the director thought was a place in Norway. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, oh. um, but it was a real town, oh. and it was like famous as like a whale a whaling port. Very cool. Um, there's a lot of whale stuff in this. There's whale stuff in this. It was great. Did you, um, did you handle that okay? Yeah, <laughs> I'm afraid of whales, but I do find it's just if I see a picture of a real person next to a I, whale. I know. I know. <laughs> Parker's trying to derail the podcast. Um, anyway, so Jesper goes to Smirensburg, mm -hmm. and it's a town split in two mm -hmm. there are two warring factions two families who have been warring for centuries and there's good gags about that throughout the it's movie. very much inspired by uh 
like the two main like warring American families of like American folklore. Um, the names are slipping my mind right now, mm. but there there is like a very like oh. a, a very storied like grudge between two families. Oh, okay, yeah. I think a lot of this is drawing on. Right. So he goes there, and he's that. basically he has to send six thousand letters. Coincidentally, very similar to our situation, um, and he doesn't really know how to do that. He's terrible at his job, but he quickly learns um, by kind of a coincidence that when he, okay, basically a kid draws a picture of himself imprisoned in the house that he lives in. He feels terrible. He feels sad. It drops down to Jesper. Jesper tries to get him to pay for it to be postage. Um, he doesn't. And then that letter through a, you know, he tries to go to every single house trying to see if anyone wants to send letters. He learns of a woodsman who lives up, uh, in the woods, did you find the thing about the family? I did, yes. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the Hatfields and McCoys, two oh. American Appalachian mountaineer families who, with their kinfolk and neighbors, engaged in a legendary feud that attracted nationwide attention in the 1880s and 90s and prompted judicial and police actions, wow. one of which drew an appeal up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Whoa. So it's wow. kind of riffing off of the Hatfields and McCoys a little bit. Oh, that's fun. Um, so he goes up to the woodsman's cabin. He gets real spooked. There's a lot of a toy full of old, a room full of old toys, I mm -hmm. should say. Um, and he leaves the letter with the kids drawing behind. Yeah. And um, basically the woodsman, who is name is Klaus, played, played by J.K. Simmons. Simmons. Nice. He, uh, he brings a toy for the kid. Mm -hmm. And Jesper gets kind of wrangled up in that. Um, and then it kind of goes from there. Word spreads from all the kids that if you write a letter to Mr. Klaus, he will bring you a toy. Um, and then we get a really fun throughout the story as Jesper and Klaus kind of work together to do this. Um, Jesper also kind of meets a teacher, mm -hmm. um, Alva. I think so. Name? Yeah. Yeah. Alva? Played by Rashida Jones. Um, and kind of like gets to know her and they're clearly kind of like falling in love. Um, and basically through this, we do get really fun sequences that kind of establish a lot of the Santa Claus mythology, mm -hmm. um, you know, flying sleigh, reindeer, um, lump of coal and it's all just kind of like circumstantial and yeah. just kind of happens it's not like it's really part of anything it's just like things that jesper chooses to do things that happen to them as they go about their business um yeah i mean i don't know is do we need to do like a beat by beat for this i don't I feel know necessarily like... i think we can kind of pull the moments that we yeah. find interesting but like you know that's that's the basic premise you know and then families try to stop them mm -hmm. because all the kids are starting to hang out together and then all the adults start to hang out together and they're all having a wonderful time yeah these two warring families. So they try to stop them. Doesn't work. Um, and we'll get into that, mm -hmm. that whole plot kind of thing. Cause I think that's kind of our biggest hang up with the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the end, uh, it's really nice. And mm -hmm. Klaus kind of passes on and then becomes Santa. becomes Santa. And Jesper's like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that's possible, but he's doing it. And I get to see him once a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's just really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And the animation is really great. Animation is really... We'll get into that. Yeah. Um, what's, what's kind of the first thing that you want to touch on? Um, so this movie is ostensibly like trying to be an origin story for Santa Claus, right? Yeah. And there are a lot of movies that have tried to do similar things. And more often than not, they come across, come across excuse me, very clumsily yeah. very like it feels like you're making a prequel to culture you know like it feel, it has all the problems like right. whoa look at this thing but it's like yeah. with iconography rather than with ip or right. whatever yeah um and this feels so 
organic and mm-hmm. it feels so earned and like there's a montage after you know the first set of deliveries that have happened because klaus is like okay we're gonna do more of this yeah and um jesper is hesitant at first but then realizes oh hey cha-ching i can get all of these letters this way right um and so there's this montage of them going through in the night and like delivering a bunch of toys and the next morning him hearing the kids talking about it and you start getting all the pieces where it's like he can fit down any chimney and it just shows jesper like you know squashed into a little stove somewhere because he's a very skinny guy and Klaus right. is huge he's the burly woodsman yeah um and so it's like oh yeah no he he can get into any chimney and you know the the coal stuff all is very organic where there's a kid who is bullying jesper and he doesn't like and when he realizes he's at that kid's house he leaves coal instead of the toy and when he gets mad at him he pulls out the well no he klaus can see you he knows <laughs> when you've been naughty or nice yeah and it's a really great scene but like they lay out all of those pieces in very clever ways where it's like, okay, here's the red suit. Here's the elves. Here's the reindeer. Here's the coal. And it never feels pandering. It never feels like, Hey, look at this thing. Right. Cause it usually happens. And then like two seconds afterwards, like, Oh, it's that piece of the mythology, which I think is really nice. Yeah. Um, I do want to read a quote from one of the directors, Sergio Pablo, Mm -hmm. uh, who said, um, well, it was part of the thing that part of the reason that he wanted to do this was like um, he had this idea of like, what if everything that's good about Santa Claus came about through the actions of the most reprehensible character you can imagine, mm-hmm. which is a fun idea. Mm-hmm. But then he said in the beginning, it was mostly me doing the seeking for that story. But I thought that there was something interesting in the fact that there was no canon, no widely accepted origin story for Santa Claus. Depending on who you ask, you're going to get the historical answer or the religious answer or one of the many traditions from every different country. I thought if I could find the honest, non-controversial version of that story, it would be interesting. And then when I landed upon this idea of making Klaus a more human character with a past and pairing him up with a very selfish postman, I realized that the relationship could really carry an interesting story, which I think is a good point. Yeah. And I do think it is like an interesting idea because you do mention like, I mean, there's the, um, there's a stop motion one where it's like a Santa Claus yeah, origin Santa story. Claus there's town. one from a few years ago called the boy called a boy called Christmas. And that's oh, I don't him think as I, well. It's got like some na- big names in it, but, okay. um, but again, I feel like a lot of them are very regionally specific or they're a little too like kitschy with it. They're a little too like, and then he, you know, and this just feels very natural and it feels very organic and it's not, and I think it helps that they aren't doing things one-to-one of any different country. It is very much like, here's how it may have started and it has since evolved into what we know it to be. Yeah. Right which I do think is a really good way of approaching this because a lot of other origin stories might just be like, we're going to do an origin of how the man became magical and how does he do all of this, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the Santa Claus is like, it's a contract and you're like least interesting way. <laughs> yeah. It's fun, but whatever, you know? Totally. I know. No, I completely agree. And I think that like, that's what works in its favor is that it takes broad concepts culturally and doesn't nail them down to one particular interpretation. It's just sort of like, Hey, here is, an idea and it's going to have Slavic influences and European influences and all of these other elements. A lot of Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's not locked down in any one particular area. I also think it's very fun that, um, a big part of like what we know of the kind of 20th century interpretation of Santa Claus in America 
is very much fueled by like the letter writing campaign of mm. you write letters to Santa Claus, which was a big part of like the U.S. post office. So I love that like postal service is a big piece of this origin story yeah. for him. I mean, that's how it opens. It mm -hmm. opens with Jesper saying like, you may have written a letter to a man in a big red suit before, but have you ever wondered why? Yeah. Like, how did this story start? This is a story about letters. Mm -hmm. That's how it opens. Yeah. And I just like that element a lot. Yeah, me too. It does make me like letters. Like, mm -hmm. it reminds me that I think letters are super cool. Letters are great. And it's awesome. And Love please don't defund the Postal Service. We did a little thumbs up with the camera for those <laughs> of you not watching. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you think of the family stuff? What do you think of the family feud stuff? Do you think it works? I think it's fun. I think it. I think it's a a good externalizing of, like, an internal conflict of it's like, okay, if the theme of what... Santa is going to represent is unity and harmony and loving each other and gift giving and all these things. A very easy shorthand for the antithesis of that is okay, battle and feuds and yeah. anger. And this is a really good comical way of introducing those ideas yeah. without making it too heavy. Right. It's not like Santa's enemy is the nuclear bomb. <laughs> like it's like, you know. I mean, Parker, that sounds awesome. That could go hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite man. scene in this movie is when Killian Murphy shows up at the end <laughs> to do battle with J.K. Simmons's Santa Claus. Oh man, wow, love that. But you know what I mean? Like it could, like it could very easily get blown out of proportion in context of like it the could. tone it's going for. Yeah, they could have taken it too big, too mm -hmm. wide of just being like all of humanity is war, right? And you like know? you know, it you could have had like. I don't know, a Jack Frost type in there as the antagonist, sure. like having a specific person like, no, not the spirit of Christmas, <laughs> like being very against that. I'm against toys. Yeah. And I like that this is, we have our own thing going on and we hate each other and you happen to be like interfering with yeah. that, which I, I like that and it's not like a step removed. Yeah. It's not the intention of Klaus. I mean, obviously Jesper's intention is to get off the island right. for a lot of it. Um, but like, it's not Klaus's intention of like, I'm sick of these people fighting. Yeah. We have to give them toys. You know, it's not that it's just, we're doing a nice thing. And the whole theme of the movie is one good selfless deed sparks another. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's repeated a lot and it's true. Yeah. And it's a nice Christmassy thing. Exactly. You know, I think that's a good thing to center it around. So in that regard, I think, I think the, Family feud works for yeah, me. Yeah, I think I think, so I think it's a good shorthand. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think of the love story? It's cute. I think um, it's cute. I think yeah. it's it's not the focus, and no. that's okay. I don't think it needs to be the focus. No. Um, it feels maybe a touch undercooked for that reason, but again, it's not that yeah. kind of movie, so it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. I don't really, it doesn't really bother me. It's nice yeah. that it's there. It yeah. doesn't need it anything any more than it is. It's nice to have like a more personal connection to someone who is directly being influenced mm -hmm. or impacted by the changes that are happening on the island. Totally. Um, and I think in that way it functions really well. Right. And she she stands in very well as an illustration of that main point you were talking about, is that like, as she's observing what Jesper is doing, even if his reasons are selfish, which we're going to get into, yeah. like she observes that and then that instigates within her, these kids are these kids need me right. and I should probably dip into my savings of trying to get out of this place to right. learn, teach them how to read and write. Right. Well, and also she's also a, a good inclusion because the families there have been there forever and hated forever, but she arrived on the Island optimistically mm -hmm. and was soured yeah. by the Island and has been, you know, 
And in that way, I do think that is a little undercooked in that way of like, I mean, we don't need her to like monologue about how it's changed her opinion. Sure. It's very visually, it's visually conveyed very well. And like, obviously yeah. it works. Um, but that is like something where I'm like, yeah, that like, it would also have been like nice to know a little bit more about like, oh, well, what are you totally. talking about all this? Um, but yeah, I do think it's like a nice inclusion. I'm not like against it. Sure. Um, do you want to talk about the thing, the elephant in the room? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. We touched on this with the Puss in Boots episode, uh-huh. especially. I, I love this movie yes. so much. This is like a four and a half star. Yeah. So close to a five. Like just, uh-huh. it, yeah, it works so many levels, which we're going to get into a little bit more. But like the one thing that we both mutually catch on, and like you said, we talked about in the Puss in Boots, I am always frustrated by narratives and it shows up in all narratives, but especially in like animated films geared towards children yeah. it seems to show because up a it's lot a really nice way to convey a message of understanding your friends totally and communicating um but not really and also it's a good thing to include if you don't have an antagonist right and so this trope that shows up a lot is a forced misunderstanding a a, a secret that is being kept from somebody a lie that has been told mm-hmm. that has since become un not the case yeah usually it's like a character started out yeah, there's always terrible. that line. It's like, well, maybe it started out that way, but it, it's not that way but anymore. But now it's different. Yeah. And it's like, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. And it happens in Klaus. And it, yes, it's, they find out that he's been doing all these, he's been telling the children to write letters so that he can get out of town. And yeah. he hasn't told anybody that. And Klaus and Alva and everybody else yeah. are very incensed by this and are very upset and like, wow. There's always an angle, right? Because yeah. he has that conversation earlier on where he's talking to Klaus. He's like, well, what do you? what is in this for you? Like, what's your angle here? He's like, I don't have an angle. Like, I, I like spreading joy to children and I like making toys. Yeah. And he asks Jesper what his angle is and he gets interrupted. He doesn't get an answer. And yeah. so that's the whole thing. It's like, oh, okay, you were just conning all of us for your own selfish reasons this whole time, yada, yada, blah, blah. He's had a full change of heart at this point, like a, a palpable, visual, tangible change of heart for probably the last like 20 minutes of the movie before this. Yeah, like, this he's is really very thing. invested and enjoying it. Yeah. And then his father comes to collect him because the families have made a temporary truce mm. to write a billion letters, sent them, and then notified his father that he achieved the goal before the end of the year. Kick him out of town, basically. Kick him out of town, basically. So his dad comes to collect. Mm-hmm. He goes with him. And basically they get to the dock and, his, and then he... We don't see it because they did want to do a little reveal, mm-hmm. but he tells he tells his father everything and decides to stay, and then um, oh, what's her uh, Margu, mm-hmm. the little Sami girl, so comes cool. back and he talks to her for a bit uh, and is like, yeah, of course I'm not going to leave, mm-hmm. and then he goes back and he helps like kind of foil the plan, but also not really foil the plan because it was already foiled yeah. by Klaus and Alva and the Sami people, um. Yeah, it's, which I, like that's it's just very short. That is one small turn in this that I do like. I like the fact that like him saving the day has more to do with him proving himself than saving the day. Like I like the fact yeah. that everybody else isn't just helpless. Yeah. It's like yeah, no, they're smart enough we already to do did something. It. Yeah. yeah, we did it already. Yeah, you just made it complicated. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of says he he says like what? So all this was all for nothing? Because there's an extended chase sequence down a mountain. Yeah, where Klaus is giving him a silent treatment. Yeah, and 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 it is very fun. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, just, yeah. all right. He clearly is into it. Like, he's clearly invested. He's not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just, I always find it Well, it's one of those things of like, I don't believe them. I get why it's here. You want to introduce conflict. You yes. want to introduce a turn. But the issue is, they already did that and they do it better. Yeah. Like 15 minutes earlier. Yeah. 
And I think I think that it's like a double beat, right? Almost. Yeah. Because what happens instead is that earlier in the movie, um, they are running out of toys. He's made all these toys in the past, and they're giving them away. And class is like, "Well, maybe only one or two more trips, and then we're out of toys." And Jesper freaks out, and he's like, "No, we need more letters." And so, rather than being honest with him and telling him what's going on, he tries to convince Klaus. He's like, "Hey, make more toys." He's like, "I don't make toys anymore." And he does this whole presentation. is very pushy, and Klaus is very visibly uncomfortable. And he's in his workshop showing him all these, like, oh, you can, you know, over here's your board working station. Over here, you can work with all the gears and the cogs. And he pulls the sheet off something, and Klaus is like, no, stop. And he pulls it down, and it's this really beautiful, like, carving of essentially, like, a family tree with a figure of Klaus and his wife and all these empty spots yeah. where children should be and they're not. Yeah. And Klaus gets very upset. He says, get out. And he yells at him. And there's this big rift in their relationship, and Jesper's like, oh, I went too far. Yeah. I, I, I pushed too hard. He takes some of the woodworking tools with him and tries to make a toy for the little Sami girl. And he's horrible at making toys and he falls asleep at the workbench. Klaus comes to find him and starts working on it. And Jesper wakes up and he tries to have a conversation with the class. He's just, nope. And yeah. just points, he points at the woodworking and they just work in silence. Yeah. And then they make the sled for the girl and they kind of repair their relationship over that. And yeah. it's a very nice moment. It is a very organic way of introducing conflict between the two of them, mm -hmm. putting a rift there, and it works really well. And so it feels weird to have 20 minutes later do the same thing over a misunderstanding because this was here right. over a very organic, like, yeah. real reason to be upset. Yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, it's tricky because obviously they've introduced this whole, it was built on a lie thing. And we have seen Jesper change his motivations mm. over the course of the film. But it, I don't think it would be satisfying if he just never talked about it to sure. anyone. But you could still have like his father come and then just have him be like, no, actually, I'm done. We're, we're going to do this. I'm not coming with you. Yeah. You can still do the chase with the families because they still want to wreck all the toys. Because mm -hmm. Jesper comes back and the chase still happens like he never left. Yeah. So we don't need that. Right. We already did the rift. The rift's been solved. At this point, all we need is him standing up to his dad and his dad being like, well, you've done a great job. Come back. And he's like, no. Mm -hmm. And that's all it needs to be. Yeah. And his father can go, okay, I'm proud of you. Totally. Like, right? yeah, like the resolution to the lie is fine. Yeah. It just doesn't need to be as drawn And it doesn't make it sense to me that Jesper at that time would go with him. Yeah. I don't know. It's fine. Whatever. It's fine. Whatever. It is, yeah. Again, it's, um, it's, it is, it is a half star nitpick yeah. that I've got with this movie. So I actually, I have one other thing that I think needs to be mentioned mm -hmm. that I did read about a little bit. I tried to find some more like direct sources. I just found like a, a paper that someone had written, but they didn't talk directly to it. But I do think the inclusion of the Sami people is interesting because this earlier this year when I went to Seattle, I did go to the Nordic Museum mm -hmm. and I learned a lot more about the Sami people. And they were basically also the indigenous people of Scandinavia who were pushed out by a lot of people who came there. Mm. Um, and the inclusion of them here, I think, is obviously well done. Sergio Pablo, one of the directors, did mention, like, he initially was writing it where Margu would be speaking English, and then he went, no, she should be Sami. She yeah. should be speaking Sami. They found a Sami actress to come play her. Very cool. Um, which is very cool. But I do think it runs into a similar problem that particularly adaptations of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory run into. And I, I, I don't want to get, <laughs> you know, but my point is just, it's hard to make an entire like group of people into a workforce. Mm. And this movie touches on it very gently. They yeah. come to help voluntarily mm -hmm. and they do come to help. But the idea that they are 
Santa's elves. Yeah. Feels a little off to me. Mm-hmm. And I was looking into it. I couldn't find any like general opinions from Sami people about this, if they how they felt about it. Um, it is interesting. This did come out the same time as Frozen 2 mm-hmm. in the same year. And Frozen 2 also has Sami influence. So it's like suddenly it's like Sami people. Sure. And I do want to give props to this movie for doing the language, fully committing to that. Yeah. Fully committing to portrayals of their, you know, their traditional outfits, all those sorts of things. And I don't think it's really an issue. Like clearly the people come to help. Sure. It, and they say like a good deed sparks a good deed. Like mm-hmm. they've come to help because they like what we're doing. But I do think it's just something I wanted to mention sure. and make mention of that it is kind of, an, I don't know. It's not necessarily like, I don't want to say it's problematic of the movie. I think it's done better than a lot of other movies would right, do but it. But it's, it's worth noting. I think it's worth noting of kind of this, I don't know, kind of this like playing them. It's like, and again, it's not really like the movie is saying there's some sort of magical monolith right. that come and help this man. Yeah. You know, this white man you know because mm-hmm. santa is you know klaus isn't sami right um but i do think it it's a nice inclusion yeah it's one of those things of like i i am glad that they're here yes with the caveat that like you're saying i can totally see everything you're talking about of like potentially it being an issue I think the movie does a good job of not steering it that direction. I agree. Though, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's one of those things of like, um, this isn't entirely one-to-one, but go with mm-hmm. me here of like, I mean, I mentioned Wonka. Well, I mean, so. well, I, I just remember like you and I both kind of tensing up when we were watching fast times, that there were certain elements that showed up in that movie. We're like, mm. where are you going with this? Yeah. And then like, it resolved itself in a way that we're like, okay, no, this feels okay. This feels like it, it's good. It's good right. that it's here. But just like, the presence of certain ideas when you're not sure what direction they can be heading right. can be reason to pause, right. I suppose. And this could maybe fall in that category, but I think where it lands is overall fairly positive. Again, the fact yeah. that she is speaking Sami, she's not speaking English. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that she's not subtitled. I like yes. the fact that like there is an active interpretation that has to happen. Like he has to go to Alma. He's like, do you understand? He's like, do you understand what she's saying? Like, right. can you help me with this? Yeah. Um, and I, I like that element of it rather right. than just, oh, okay, here are like, if the whole movie was just, okay, Margu and her people are like the stand-ins for the way that people interact with like droids in Star Wars. It's like, we don't understand what they're saying, but everybody else is like, oh yeah, no, exactly. And I <laughs> right. like the fact that they're like the language barrier exists. And the yeah. one time that they do that is played for comedy of Jesper talking to himself completely yes, and Margie right. just being like, what do you say? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't think there's necessarily like a problem with it, but in case people do have kind of, sure. I want to hold space for that. No, I'm, I'm glad you did. But, really. Um, but yeah, for me, I think it, it mostly avoids anything that feels like, Ooh, you yeah. know, that kind of like nervousness that you get. Totally. Um, but yeah, I just, I just wanted to like hold space for that. No, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just really nice. There's some pop music in this. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I did like, um, I was reading an interview with the director about the little rap that plays after Jesper introduces the Cole really myth funny. to the kids. And it's like, that's what happens when you mess with the postman. Yeah. And they were going to get like a real rap track and get mm-hmm. the rights to it and use it. But they were like, it was too much. And then his editors kind of threw that in as a joke. And then audiences <laughs> reacted to it. And they went, all right, we're good. just going to use it. And it is pretty funny. It's really good. That's what happens when you with the postman. Yeah. It's really great. It's really great. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the ending is really nice. 
Yep. I, I, there are multiple. We should talk about the wife. Yes. Lydia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting because this also is very tropey in a lot of ways, but it works somehow mm. here in a big way, which yeah. is the trope of magical dead wife. Yes. Of like, okay, here I am. I am this, this gaping hole in your life, but somehow, some way I will be pressing you onwards towards what you need. Right. Um, Even though I have died, my sole purpose is to guide you. Yeah. Um, and But it works. It's it, cute. I don't know. It's, it's really nice here. It's, you know, Klaus is mourning the loss of his wife and uh, she is kind of personified through the wind and the yeah. leaves and they do a really lovely little bit of like effects animation with like the wind picking up bits of snow and the leaves yeah. and like it, you can see it and swirl. the letter the original mm-hmm. letter which kicks everything off right it's very clear that she sees some sort of opportunity for him to find purpose and love again in his life and is yeah. like clearly guiding him to that mm-hmm. we never see her no we never see like some sort of like apparition of her it's just the wind it does circle around uh jesper a lot yeah um to the point that when i first watched this movie i was kind of like is he like his wife reincarnate <laughs> like i was like <laughs> what is but it's really just love it's just opening himself up to people again right it's just like come on mm-hmm. like, yeah like you don't have to live isolated up in the woods making birdhouses yeah, for me you can have like, friends you yeah. can love again mm-hmm and so I guess in some ways, love actually is. <laughs> <laughs> We're um, back, baby. People. It's just people. It's yeah, being it's with people, people and working with people on something that you care about. Mm-hmm. And her inclusion is sort of the first of two very like minor drops of like supernaturalism yes. in the film, right? Is like, okay, clearly his wife's spirit is around and is influencing events to a certain extent but it's very like it's very soft magic system it's very the rules are all over the place and doesn't really matter it's just as a catalyst and as an emotional like center point right right um which then leads nicely into the end of the film where years and years have passed and um klaus is out in the woods working as he always is and the wind 12 years you know 12 years after the events of the rest of the story and He's off in the woods making birdhouses and chopping wood like he usually is. And the wind sort of beckons him. And he's like, okay, it's time. He's like, I'm coming, my love. And he follows the wind and he walks past a tree. And when the camera moves past the tree, he's just gone. Yeah. And, you know, Jesper has some narration. He's like, I looked everywhere. I asked everyone. Like, he just disappeared. Like, nobody knew it. Like, it's not like we found him in the woods somewhere. You know, he just was gone. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, and then something happened. I can't explain. He's like, I've been trying to riddle out for years, gave up trying to figure it out a long time ago. Like, all I know is that once a year I get to see my friend. Yeah. And it's this really lovely, like, again, just the, the sprinkling of some Christmas magic. It's yeah. like, yeah, he transcended into being immortal Santa Claus. And he does this once a year now. And yeah. like, it's just very lovely. Sleigh bells come over the roof and that's how Jesper knows that he's coming and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting way of introducing the magical element of yeah. it. Which, it just, it seems like a, a very, I don't know, a, a very bold take in a film which is very much geared towards being family-friendly and kind of not geared exclusively towards children, but open to children yeah. in a lot of ways, that normally it feels like you'd be introducing that magic like super early on, right? right. But it isn't any of that. Like you get some of the energy with his wife, 
And then that just happens at the end of the movie. There is no other, like, the reindeer don't actually fly. Yeah. They jumped off a cliff and flew past somebody's window. Yeah. Like, there is no moment of, like, whoa, we found the magical fairy dust, and now, whoa, look at yeah. this. Like, it just, it just happens. Yeah. And I think that so much of what works for me about this and what works for me about, like, good Christmas narratives is that we've unfortunately gotten to a point in like our media landscape where it feels like we need feel the need to over explain everything. Yeah. It's kind of the marvelization of like, okay, what's the power scaling? Like yeah. what are, what are the, what are the rules of this? How does this all work? Yeah. What's the shield made or, out of? How does also, Dr. Strange's magic work? But also kind of a result of like what happened with the Star Wars fandom as well, mm -hmm. with the expanded universe where they just went, we're going to explain every single detail. Totally. And then now people expect that all the time. Yeah. And so because of that, like, you know, sometimes having hard explanations for your magic works really well. I think Avatar The Last Airbender is a really good example of, like, here are the rules of bending, yeah. and there's still some mysticism to it. There's still right. some, like, you know, scaling and some variations, but, like, here are generally. Right. And I just think that I much prefer seeing magic in narratives, and especially Christmas narratives, that is very mysterious and very unexplained. Like... Scrooge didn't break some talisman that now he's getting cursed by ghosts with. Like they just show up yeah, because they like show up. Like a cursed golden coin or right, something. Right, you know what I mean? Like it's just greedy to give it they're back. ghosts. Yeah. I don't know what to tell they, you. They just exist. They come to visit you. Yeah. Yeah. And this feels very much of the same vein. It's like, yeah, he became Santa Claus. Yeah. I don't know. It just happened. Because yeah, we don't need to explain that. Yeah. And also just the, the less you try to explain how Santa works to kids, the easier totally uh, and even in this movie at one point they're like and the operation kept expanding more towns in our kind of area hmm. and i'm like how'd you do that <laughs> like how are you doing that because it shows them on a boat and i'm like so it's not all in one night obviously we know that hmm. but like just you just kept going yeah. i was like that's cool taking boats that's slow anyway <laughs> you don't need to explain all that <laughs> just let him be the wind you know yeah let santa claus be the winter wind perfect perfect great Great. Any other? Oh, we should talk about the animation. Mm -hmm. It draws a lot from two D animation. Yeah. Um, but there are there is a lot of like three D CGI, um, that sort of thing. But it all works really well. As I understand it, and I may be I may be wrong. I watched like a documentary featurette. I should have watched it closer to when we were recording. Mm. But as I recall, a lot of it is that it was done in two D first. Mm -hmm. Then they brought 3D models in that are basically the shapes of the characters yeah. underneath that to get the lighting the yes, way that they he, want. Yeah, he talked a lot about lighting mm -hmm. um, and how that was something. He worked as a Disney animator in the 90s yeah. on things like Hunchback and Tarzan. And I will say this has kind of that Disney Renaissance sauce in it. Totally. To the way the characters move. And it makes me ache for the timeline where this is what Disney is doing now. Oh. Because it has a very nice quality it's to it. It's gorgeous to look that at. That is gorgeous to look at and has more of that kind of classic, kind of like, quote unquote, Disney vibe that Disney has lacked for 20 years. Well, it's it's been really great, like, with it being the season. I've seen a couple of animators who worked on the film um, posting on, like, Twitter like pencil tests that they did. And yeah. it's just magical to yeah. look at. It's just like, wow. Yeah. And I also feel like this feels like a natural progression of where things like Atlantis and Treasure Planet were going, mm -hmm. but we just went in a different direction. Yeah. And that kind of breaks my heart. It does. But I'm so glad that Klaus exists for that Me reason. Me too. Um, I do have one or two more quotes from 
Sergio, mm -hmm. who talked about, um, he said, yeah, I thought it was time to not just make a nostalgic 2D looking film, but to try to push the medium forward as much as we could. Um, and this would have had started production before Spider-Verse came out. Yeah. But there's kind of this like push in like the late 2010s of just like, we're tired. Let's do yeah. something different. You know, I think that's really nice. I agree. Um, and then kind of taking it back to Christmas as well. Um, he talks about, as he realized that what he was thinking, his ideas, he was like, oh, I'm making a Christmas movie. And he went, there's a gold standard for Christmas films, and you've got to try to become part of that small list in the rotation every year. It's a very select group, and it has great films in it, and how do we make ourselves different? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I kind of wanted to bring up those questions at the start, is like, for you, this has entered the Christmas canon. Totally. And so I think, unless you have more things to say about Klaus, we can get into the criteria. No, I think that was about okay, it. Okay, great. And, um, and also touch on... Clearly, this movie was trying to. Let's start with like what it's trying to do and how mm -hmm. well it's trying to. Yeah. Because he talked a lot about they were trying to do, they were trying to push 2D to a new place mm -hmm. and do 2D animation in a way that feels nostalgic but also feels new and fresh. And I think they nailed that. Totally. Absolutely. They're also trying to create a story that kind of can be like a widely accepted origin of Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they did really well at that. And he also talked about, I don't know the exact quote, but he talked a lot about like trying to not do the magic thing. He wanted this to be like a very secular <laughs> explanation of like, here's how this may have happened and how this may have may work until the end when you need to kind of be right. like, oh, and now he still does it. Um, I don't know. Like, what do you think about how well it's trying to do what it's trying to do? I don't know. Based off of all those goals that he's talking about, I think they nail it. Yeah. I think it is a, a really great grounded take on the material that still has so much whimsy and magic to it without yeah. being magical. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, great. Well, I, would you say it's doing better at what it's trying to do than Citizen Kane? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. pretty firmly, I'd say. Okay, great. I agree. Yeah. All right. Um, technical and historical significance. I think this is part of this kind of revolution in animation that we're mm -hmm. seeing. I don't know if this plays a part as much as like as far as technical and historical influence. Not quite. I think it had the potential to. I think part of it is that it's not as flashy in its techniques as Spider-Verse was. Yeah. Which isn't a bad thing. I'm no. not I'm not saying that like Spider-Verse is in your face because it's it's beautiful and it's wonderful, yeah. but I think people took more notice of that because it was so direct yeah. whereas this you could mistake for like if, if you are familiar with 2D animation, you'll pick it up. Like, that's yeah. what I noticed the first time I watched it. Right. Like, oh, there's a lot of 2D animation going into this, and it makes me very happy to see. But, like, if you're unfamiliar with that, some people could mistake this for just a fully CG film. Right, almost like the Peanuts movie. Yeah, exactly. It feels like this is akin to the Peanuts movie. Totally. Of, like, that is quietly doing something doing revolutionary. doing a lot in that movie. And they're doing a lot in it, but it just works so well and so subtly that people didn't even really think about exactly. It, right. So yeah, I think it is part of that movement, but isn't necessarily like the watershed moment. Right. And also this did come out a year after Spider-Verse. Mm -hmm. um, but the Peanuts movie was like 2015, 2016. 2016. Yeah. We'll no, talk I, about the Peanuts movie. I've got a year. lot to say about the Peanuts movie, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I yeah. think like there's an argument to be made, but not unlike where we landed with Puss in Boots. I think this big cultural touch point is always going to belong to Spider-Verse. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I think probably Kane on this one. I think Citizen Kane beats this movie at, as, at historical and technical relevance. Sure. Yeah. Emotionally, how does this movie make you feel? Well, I cry at like four separate times in this movie. Okay. <laughs> like it just gets me. I yeah. don't know what it is. There's just like moments in this movie that reduce me to just a puddle. Okay. Which, which four, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. Um, the first one is when they deliver the first toy and Klaus watches the boy playing yes. with like the little wind up frog and just like that push in across like, you know, they're following the kid as he's running through the house and it just goes to Klaus and he takes off his hood and just like this look of wonder he has just makes me ball yeah um i get it's kind of hit or miss but i usually get pretty teary um when klaus shows up to help with the sled and just that quiet moment of like we're not talking work on the thing and just yeah. like that silent i'm here we're okay but we're not ready to talk about this yet and yeah. that just feels so real to me um and i really love that uh and then the moment where Klaus goes with his wife and disappears. Mm. And then the very ending of once a year, I got to see my friend. Interesting. Yeah. Like those four consistently are just like, I don't know. Yeah. Gets me. Margu with the sled gets me. Yeah. Like that whole sequence. Nothing else really does. Like I feel emotional about it, mm -hmm. but, and I don't love like the pop song over it. Sure. But it still works for me. Yeah. And it kind of works in the same way that like, I hate the Polar Express, but Believe by Josh Groban. Even oh, yeah. though I think it's like pretty corny. It's a banger. But it's though, a banger. Man. And it, that it, it has that same feels. Christmas magic of like fundamentally this is like so like saccharine. Saccharine and like but also whatever. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. And so Margaret with the sled really, really gets me. Yeah. Um, because also just what a cute character. She's adorable. She's wonderful. Margaret. Um, yeah. So I think I think I get the point to Klaus here. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'm willing to do that. Okay. Taking a step back, mm -hmm. I don't think this is better than Citizen Kane. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I'm, I'm on the fence about it. Mm. Like, uh, you can continue your argument. You could, you could. I don't me. know if I have an argument. It's just that. It's just the vibe. My argument is the criteria, which tells me that Klaus should be, but I also. Well, hmm. I think there's a lot of really great visual filmmaking going on here. There's a lot okay, of yes. really great visual storytelling. Yeah. It is, I think it is taking a lot of the lessons learned by Citizen Kane and applying it to the versatility and sky is the limit nature of animation where it's like, we can put the camera anywhere. Yeah. We can do anything we want with it and they use it in really great ways. And I love too that like, one thing that stood out to me this time around is like animation has the ability, especially CG animation, has the ability to be picture perfect in a way that feels almost inhuman. There's kind of this sheen that like there's no life to it sometimes. Yeah. This movie goes out of its way to introduce imperfections that would show up if you were shooting this in live action. Specifically, mm. what comes to mind is there is a shot where they're delivering to like six different houses down the lane and it's like a wide shot. And it's one of those static cameras where the camera stays still and then you jump cut to each time whether he's going into a new house. And every time it cuts, the camera shifts ever so slightly. It's not a lot, but it looks like they set up for a different setup and tried to get it as close as they could and was just a little bit off. 
And they could have just kept that digital camera exactly where it was and yeah. moved the models around. And I love that they don't. I love that they put that ever so slight imperfection in there yeah. to help make it feel real, make it feel rounded in a way that works and is very engaging visually. So I would say that I think there is an argument to be made where I think you could say, hey, this is taking a lot of the lessons learned from Citizen Kane about camera placement and movement and all of these things and blocking and marrying it with the medium of animation. Okay. I'm also falling back on the fact that we said Puss in Boots is better than Citizen Kane. And if Puss in Boots is better than Citizen Kane, I think Klaus is better than Citizen Kane. I don't know if Klaus is as good as Puss in Boots for me. Ooh, okay. Okay. But see, that's, this is where I think we need to get into the next little segment of this episode. Okay. Because this is our last episode of the year. It is. And I think we have talked about 25 movies over mm -hmm. 24 episodes. And Parker, one of the things that you were really excited about when we were starting this podcast is you're like, I can't wait to look at where all these movies fall once we're pretty far in. Yeah. And if it's okay, I'd like to show you the letterbox list I've been keeping all year, Ooh. Um, which I, where I have been placing the movies generally where I think they fall in our collective opinion. And I think we'll determine what our top five are okay. and in what order they go. Because okay. a huge thing about Citizen Kane is that people always put it like number one mm -hmm. greatest American film yeah. of all time. Great. One of the greatest films of all time. And I just think it would be nice to figure out what the BTCK <laughs> top 10 films okay. are. I'm down. Let's um, do it. But when I look at this list, Ratatouille is not as good as Citizen Kane mm -hmm. in our opinion. No. And for me, I think I like Ratatouille more than Klaus. All right. Maybe. <laughs> like, okay, all right. Or maybe Klaus is just slightly above Ratatouille, but I just, I feel, <laughs> I just don't know. Ooh, it's going to get contentious. I know. Well, this is the first episode Ooh. where we've had a split in the decision. Mm -hmm. What a dramatic what? end to the oh, year. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, one had, no, no one had any idea this was going to happen. But let's, let's, let's take a look at the list and maybe we'll find where it lay. So Citizen Kane is currently at number 15. Okay. Out of 25. Okay. There are 10 movies which we have determined are worse. Sorry, there are nine movies which we have determined are worse than Citizen Kane. Rapid fire me those. Because I haven't seen this list. Forrest Gump at the bottom. I feel like we agree that Forrest Gump's the worst one we've watched this year. Mm -hmm. Love Actually above that. Mm -hmm. Hurt Locker. Yeah. Titanic. Okay. Those two I go back and forth on. On where they go. I think, I think that's right. That feels right to House me. House on Haunted Hill above Titanic. Okay. <laughs> Paranorman. Oh, okay. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. Fast Times. Mm-hmm. Ratatouille. Yeah, those I buy are, that. Those are the nine that we have put below Citizen Kane. I buy that. And then we have Citizen Kane. Yep. And then up from Citizen Kane, at number, starting at number 14, Puss in Boots. Okay. Lilo and Stitch. Okay. <laughs> Thinking about it. Hold on. Yeah. Just keep going. Barbie. Mm hmm The Muppet Movie. Mm-hmm. Vertigo. Yeah. Akira. Alien, okay. City Lights, uh -huh. Metropolis, uh -huh. Everything Everywhere, yeah. When Harry Met Sally, sure. The Night of the Hunter, okay. Jaws, huh. Casablanca. Okay. So our top five currently, and I want to move these around. Yeah. I want your opinion on this. Okay. Okay. Casablanca number one, Jaws number two, Night of the Hunter number three, When Harry Met Sally number four, and Everything Everywhere number five. I mean, 
that sounds about right to me. Right? Uh, let, let me look at that. Yeah. Me, I have to visually see yeah. these. Okay. Here, I'll even go into yeah, um, no, this is, this is great. list this is great. form. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is really exciting for everyone listening. Yeah, it is. And watching. You guys it's can't really... see my phone, but um, we're looking at the list. I'll make this public now. So if you okay, want to go, yeah, check I think it out. I, I, yeah, I can get behind those top five. Those okay. feel right to me. Great. This is where it starts feeling a little bit interesting to me. And I, I want your opinion. Because I put Barbie pretty low, even though we were like, this is the greatest show. Sure, sure. But no, I, I think I but, think where it is is... But I, I think the Muppet movie Vertigo, Akira, Alien, City Lights, Metropolis. Yeah. The way we talked about those, I feel like... Because Barbie may move up, but also it, these all have years of history. Totally. At which point we've seen their influence. Hmm. Yeah. City Lights Above Alien feels interesting to me. I could I could maybe swap those. Okay. I'm down you know? for that. Yeah. They're close. Yeah. City Lights Above Akira. Mm, below. All right. I'm good with that. I think that's where it stops. Okay. I think I think I like yeah, City Lights is better than Vertigo. Akira is better than City Lights. Yeah. Alien's better than Akira. Yeah. Metropolis is better than Alien. And then we've already established our top 5. Yeah. Okay, great. So now where would you put Klaus? I am comfortable seceding my decision that it's worse than Citizen Kane so that we can canonically put it above Citizen Kane for you. <laughs> See, I would I would switch this. I would put Puss in Boots above Lilo and Stitch. Okay. And I would put Klaus below Lilo and Stitch. I would put Klaus right above Kane. I'm good with that. And I think that's where I would kind of sit with it. I'm okay with that. I think that's good. I was trying to make an edit to the list and the, uh, the bar went up, but Whoa. here we go. Okay. Did you, you said interesting about Paranorman. I was just, I was just surprised you put it so low. Well, I just, I, it's not better than Oh Brother or Art Thou. It's it? not. It's just like, it, it was one of, it's, it's what we talked about, right? Yeah. Of like, I would say that the only bad movie on this list is Forrest Gump. Yeah. I think Forrest Gump is pretty terrible. Yeah. But the rest are... The rest are like... They range at, from like watchable least... to really great. And yeah. so that's the thing is like it just... I was just... When you line them all up, I'm like, Paranorman at 20. Right. But, but then I look at everything above and I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And when you think of it as this isn't like... It's not like Paranorman is right above House on Haunted Hill. There right. are like 30 slots between that probably totally. that we just haven't filled yet. Yeah. Okay, great. So And that's kind of, of yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the official canon decision of the podcast <laughs> is that Klaus is better. I love that we have a canon. Yeah. Is better than Citizen I, Kane. I think so. And I don't. But I'm okay putting it above that's Citizen That's why Kane. I only put it one above. Right. Because then we can swap it later if we okay, need to. I feel good about that. And we're Yeah, I'm we're not fine. saying it's 10 spots Our above Our friendship it. isn't going to suffer. I'm not going to go try and make a sled by myself and you're going to have to come in later and say, don't talk to me. We're just going to make the sled. I was this close. When I tell you, I was this close for your Christmas present. I was going to find a sled and paint <laughs> the name Rosebud on it for your Christmas present. But uh -huh. you know how hard it is to find like a classic looking like yeah. wood with like the ski sled. I think my parents have one. Great. If they still have it. They might not. We might have got rid of it. It was a mini toboggan. They it burned it in a cute. furnace. They burned it. Oh my god, that's Rosebud. Oh no. Um, I was trying to figure out a way to do a Rosebud joke in the intro. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, no. No. 
because I had to bring up the problem that we didn't we really missed a, We really missed a trick on the Titanic episode, didn't we? It was right there. We could have done something with yeah. that. Yeah. But here we are. Hey, that's okay. Yeah. Happy 2023, everybody. Happy 2023, It's been a everyone. full year we, of the podcast. We've done this for a full year now. Almost. Almost. But yeah, pretty much. Wow. Great. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week off mic, but mm-hmm. I just want to know, um, Parker, what's your favorite memory relating to the podcast hmm. this year? I really had a good time on all of our guest star episodes. Yeah. Like all of them were always super fun to bring people in. I especially really loved doing the Jaws episode because we all dressed up. Yeah. And that was just fun and silly. And it's always a good time to get you, me, and Will together and just have a chat. Um, Barbie episode was super fun for the same reasons, even though you were squished to one side of the couch and wouldn't take up space to tell people (laughs) you were squished. It's really funny. It's it's so funny. (laughs) It's really funny to look back on. Top 10 moments of the year. (laughs) Me sitting for three hours squished against a couch arm, not saying anything. Not saying a word. (laughs) Oh man, it's really good. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I think I've really liked the guest star episodes quite a bit. What about you? Yeah, I think I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed watching Forrest Gump together and just yeah. being like, "What?" <laughs> and same with Titanic. Watching Titanic together was really fun. Yeah. Um, kind of those watching, but watching them in the context of is this better than Citizen Kane? Definitely. Um, kind of makes it a, a more interesting movie night than other movie nights in some ways um really liked talking about fast times was just so surprised by that movie yeah and have thought about it so much since then i've really enjoyed not to interrupt you but just add to that like the the movies that both of us hadn't seen that were yeah. new to both of us were really akira. Fun experiences akira akira yeah. was an experience wow yeah yeah just a really nice time and thank you all for listening yeah thank you and thank you for joining us for a year you yeah. know that's that's not an invaluable amount of time. No, and we, we've talked about it that, like, primarily we just do this for ourselves because it's a fun thing to do. But it also is really exciting when we see that people are listening or watching. Yeah, and or like, commenting oh, hey, on YouTube. People want to check this out. That's really us fun. in our lives if you know us or if you run into us, I guess. Um, yeah, it's just been a really nice first year of the podcast. And we've got a yeah. lot of really exciting stuff got some Lined fun up. stuff um, for next year i do want to say that our next episode we will be taking another look at citizen kane mm-hmm. um this year when we started the podcast we didn't really fully think about it we just kind of threw citizen kane in with vertigo yeah um so we will be starting next year with citizen kane um but then the episode after that is jean d'elmont right yep. which is where this all started was the it new is. the new list yeah yeah, because there was a new um, sight and sound list from mm-hmm. the BFI, which put that movie at number one. Yeah. So that's a big one. Mm-hmm. So look forward to those next two. We kind of told you the next two. I just thought it'd be more exciting to tell them yeah. what we're looking at after By Citizen Kane. Um, but yeah, to kind of bring 2023 to a close, let's just reiterate where what our top 10 movies of all time are right now. Okay, great. <laughs> number 10, Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Number nine, City Lights. Number eight, Akira. Number seven, Alien. Number six, Metropolis. Number five, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Number four, When Harry Met Sally. Number three, The Night of the Hunter. Number two, Jaws. And number one, Casablanca. Yeah. Yeah. Good lineup. Also really fun to watch Metropolis. Yeah. I loved watching Metropolis. I'm so glad you liked that. It's good. It's a good movie. All right. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Happy everyone. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy we'll New Year. We'll see you in 2024. Catch you next time.